0: Whoa!
1: Recently, there has been a lot of conversation, a lot of discussion, some of it very reasoned, some of it very heated, some of it very rational and spiritual, some of it kind of irrational, as oftentimes happens with hot topics in the church. The particular topic I'm referring to now is one that basically, at least the discussion, the heat was inspired by a recent synod, the Amazon Synod, called for by Pope Francis. And the reason why things got heated because there is a concern especially among latin rite catholics that pope francis will allow married men to become priests in the amazon region in the south america because he feels that there aren't enough priests there to minister to those people the fear is well there's a lot of fear on different levels but there's also as a result of this fear a whole lot of discussion a whole lot of even scholarly discussion about this whole issue of priests and celibacy. Recently, a book was co-authored by Pope Benedict XVI and Cardinal Sarah, who is from Africa, and the two of them authored a book in which basically they're, they're making the claim that celibacy is in a sense ontologically connected with the priesthood and vice versa. From the Eastern perspective, it's a little bit different. We have a little bit different tradition. We, as always, the East and West arrives at the same place, but coming from different perspectives. So to get more perspective on this, and one that especially comes from the East, from someone who really knows what they're talking about, we're going to talk to a real live Eastern monk, a good friend of ours here at Light of the East. It is Abbot Nicholas from Holy Resurrection Monastery in Nanzians, Wisconsin. Welcome, Abbot nicholas to lay of the east thank
2: you father tom it's always a delight to be on your show
1: well Abbot nicholas first of all can you frame for us what the concern is from from the west i articulate a little bit but i, I think you could add to that what the what the concern is and how we then see this issue from the eastern perspective in other words this issue of clerical celibacy uh you know pre or, or might call it uh mandatory celibacy for the priesthood.
2: Okay. Yes, Father Tom, I think the bottom line for Eastern and Western Christians is that consecrated celibacy is fundamentally linked to the sacrament of baptism. It is the sacrament of baptism that was the sacrament that really made the Christian martyrs, the red martyrdom. And then once red martyrdom passed, persecution of Christians was no longer the norm in the Roman Empire, then we have the beginning of the more importance of white martyrdom, consecrated celibates, consecrated monks. Mm Mm-hmm. They weren't just celibates, of course. They just didn't abstain just from sexual relations. They also fasted, mm-hmm. prayed. It was all a package. But they were, after the martyrs, the second most important category of Christians. And we might call them the early monastics, men and women. So they were seen to be the epitome of what it meant to be a Christian, most rigorous, the epitome of what baptism called us to. Because in heaven, of course, we won't have husbands and wives. We will be totally absorbed with God's glory. And so baptism is a prefigurement of the heavenly life in heaven. And in the early church, that was lived most rigorously by the monastics, the monks and the nuns. And so um, that's very important. Monastic life is the life of baptism lived extremely rigorously. It's not a different life. It's the, And so people ask me sometimes, well, priesthood is a sacrament. Is monastic life a sacrament? And I say, no, monastic life is the sacrament of baptism. Mm -hmm. It's not another sacrament. It's a sacrament of baptism that we all share, but lived to a greater degree. Now, of course, in time, just like the leaders of the Church, remember we're talking about the early Church, when to be a Christian, you, you might be martyred. If you were baptized, you might be martyred. The Christians wanted to choose leaders that were equally as rigorous as them. And so the early bishops, most of the early bishops of the church, were martyred, or were willing to be martyred. You know, if you put your life on the line to be baptized, you weren't going to choose a leader to lead the Christian community who was just a kind of an academic, or a CEO, Mm -hmm. or an administrator, or a bureaucrat, (laughs) obviously. You were going to choose someone who was as serious as you, or even more serious, And so most of the early leaders of the Church, the early bishops of the Church, were in fact martyrs. Now, once martyrdom ceased to exist in the Roman Empire, at least substantially, then they went, they said, well, no, we don't have martyrs. Who do we trust most of all that take their faith seriously? And so they went to the monks and nuns, the early monastics, who gave up not their life, but gave up everything else, poverty, chastity, and obedience to follow Christ. And it was from those men, because of course leadership in the church, particularly sacramental priesthood was related, was a sacrament to men. And they chose men who were celibates, who were monks and nuns, if not canonically, certainly in charism. And they were the early bishops. But, originally when the church existed in the early church it was composed the leaders were bishops and their assistants which were the deacons as the church got bigger the bishops decided to have assistants called presbyters the second order of priests to celebrate the liturgy on their behalf because they couldn't get to every community and at the beginning those people those men were often married were often married there were some that were not, there were some that were chosen from the monks, the bishops were all celibate, we're talking about, you know, the the period after the period of martyrdom now, fairly early, 400s, 500s, but the presbyters, the second order of priests, we might call them, were usually married men, but gradually, in the Western Church, many hundreds of years later, gradually that... Demand of celibacy extended also to the presbyterate, the second order of priests. The thing we have to constantly, the thing I have to emphasize most of all, is that all the apostolic churches, East and West, emphasize consecrated celibacy as the ideal state of life for all the baptized. Pope John Paul II the Great, St. Pope John Paul II, in his ex- apostolic exhortation, Oriental Lumen, written in 1995, expressed it very clearly. He said, in the Eastern Churches, monastic life is the reference point for all the baptized. So it's not just me saying this. This comes from St. John Paul the Great himself. The ideal, the full ideal of baptism is to live the heavenly life here and now, which is of course what monastic life is supposed to be. Priesthood of course is a different sacrament than baptism. It's an extra. We might call the priest the, the, the we might call it the priesthood of given by baptism, which is the priesthood of all believers, that we all share as baptised Christians. And then there's an extra one, there's a ministerial priesthood that we, that some men receive by ordination, and that's to enable the priesthood of all believers to function and to flourish. In a sense, you could say baptism is more important than the Eucharist. Of course, certainly it's more primary. It's the first sacrament. And the priesthood of, of orders, the ministerial priesthood, only exists for the sake of all the
1: baptized. Emma uh, Nicholas, what do you think about the claim that very early on in the church east and west, that when a man was ordained to the priesthood, and then some will even say this was the case even with the first apostles, that they had to live as celibates, even though they were married, from that point on, that that continence was required of them. <sighs>
2: In the age of martyrdom, I think, you know, people knew that if someone was going to give their lives, they were serious about their faith. If you're prepared to give your life for your faith, they didn't ask too much about celibacy. I think from the very beginning, consecrated celibacy was not primarily a ritualistic purity rite. It was primarily an ascetical discipline. Mm. And if it's if it's you know if it was the ideal for Jesus, both celibacy, we know he was a celibate and martyrdom, he died on the cross, then of course, from the very beginning, this was the ideal this was the epitome, of course, now, whether it was canonically legislated for bishops and presbyters from the very beginning, that's a different issue I think, but not as important but certainly it was an ideal from the very beginning how it was practiced though there are, it was practiced differently in East and West, certainly by about the 5th 6th century, 7th century um, I think that's what we can say, I don't know that we know yes. uh, definitively how this was legislated for and that's not that important what the legislation is isn't as important as what the theology the charism the ideal was
1: we will talk more with our special guest abbot nicholas from holy resurrection monastery in st nonsians wisconsin when we return i'm father thomas loya
0: on light of the east light of the east mission is christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the catholic church we need your support In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor
1: Life Institute which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyo, your host, and we're talking about an issue that is very hot right now. And we have an expert, we brought in the, the big guns here on Lay of the East. <laughs> a real McCoy, Abbot Nicholas, a for real Byzantine monk, and these monks are for real at the Holy Resurrection Monastery in St. Nanzias, Wisconsin. And Abbot Nicholas is giving us some perspective on this whole issue of priesthood and celibacy. Can priests actually be married even in the West? How did this come to be? What is that in relation to baptism, monasticism, and so on? Evan Nicholas, let me ask you this question. In the book that Cardinal Robert Sarah co-authored with Pope Benedict XVI, he seems to, as the West often does, now you gave us earlier before the break a, more, a little bit more of a historical development of celibacy, mandatory celibacy in the West. But Cardinal Sarah and the Pope, and most of the Western theologians, tend to ontologize celibacy. In other words, they associate it as part and parcel, as intrinsic to the priesthood. Uh, Can you explain that a little bit?
2: I know, I think I read just a commentary that Cardinal Surah said that uh, celibacy, consecrated celibacy, presumably, and ordination are ontologically linked. Um, Now, ontological is is a loaded word i would say what i would say personally is that ordination and and celibacy is linked but it's sacramentally linked you could say linked in reality but through baptism Mm -hmm. it's not linked directly it is the consecrated celibacy is a charism of baptism Mm -hmm and therefore monastic life. But, of course, from there, because the sacrament of ordination is linked to baptism, it is also linked to the priesthood, the ministerial priesthood, but only indirectly. I do not agree with Cardinal Sarah that it is directly ontologically linked, sacrament of orders, to consecrated celibacy. It is linked but it is indirectly linked through baptism. It is in baptism that consecrated celibacy is linked to the essence of what the faith is about.
1: And yet, where there is a married clergy, there are prescriptions or customs that the priest and his wife are to abstain from relations prior to celebrating the Eucharist, correct?
2: Yes, uh, I would... You know, both have existed. Both a look at uh, abstaining from sexual relations, including consecrated celibacy, as a kind of a purification ritual to celebrate the sacraments, and also the more monastic idea of a ascetical practice to get closer to God so that you are more worthy to celebrate the sacraments. Both are there from the beginning, but I would think from the beginning it is the ascetical practice that is the stronger. The more ritualistic purification argument, I think, may have been there at the beginning, but very, 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 very thinly. I think that grew, particularly in the Latin West, with other formulations of priesthood relating priesthood to the Old Testament priesthood, the Christian priesthood to the Old Testament priesthood, where ritual purification was a bigger part of the the theology.
1: Yes, and I think, Abed Nicholas, that my particular handle on this is that what the Church really is trying to preserve, East and West, and through it all, is that eschatological dimension of the priesthood, and and as you would say, perhaps, and baptism. In other words, that which points to or makes present on earth our ultimate destiny. Now, that's what monasticism does. And celibacy, to require celibacy of all priests, is one way, I think, of preserving that eschatological witness or dimension. But it's not the only way. And I think what's happened in the West is they've relegated the celibacy as the only way that you can really at least complete continence is the only way to make present or to witness that eschatological dimension and i think in the in the east we're a little bit more open to the other ways of witnessing to that eschatological in other words uh, yes as you said before in in heaven there won't be marriage as we know it here we'll all be uh, consumed and caught off as the one bride with the bridegroom Christ, but to make that present on earth, there are ways to do that. And the expectation or the encouragement of ascetical practices for a married priest in Eastern churches is a, a, a you know one way, one sign of making that eschatological dimension present. And also, too, I think, Ab Nicholas, you know, a, a priest, even though he's married, people see him. In a sense, they almost have a celibate view of him. In that he's our priest, they don't say, uh, no, they're, no, they're not in the confessional with him and his wife. Uh, it, you know, he, he, they're not in in a, in a counseling, confidential counseling or spiritual direction session with he and his wife. It's not, it's not that he's functioning as a couple. They see him in terms of his priesthood, even though he's married. In practice. He, the, the The sense to me, is pretty much the same as a priest who is celibate. You may know, come to the actual practice.
2: Correct, and we must never forget that that the difference only exists in the presbyterate on the second level. On the level of the first priest, the the primary priest, after Christ, of course, is the bishop, the episcopate. and in the and in the episcopate, there is no difference. Both east and west equally have the same. Discipline with respect to Salome.
1: And that's how it is even to this day. Correct. Right. So there's no issue there. So I think it's very helpful, Abba Nicholas, that you're giving us this two dimension of priesthood, this this sort of bi level that the one and the original one is the bishop. And then the priesthood, as we know, priest, you know, parish priest, was really the presbyterate that grew out of a need for the bishop to be present uh, throughout his his area, his people, his eparchy or diocese and so on. And I think we forget that. We forget. We tend to think that the priesthood and the episcopacy are so very separate, but they actually, one has grown out of the other. In fact, people might understand this. In the Eastern churches, the priests can uh, c- confirm people. They can use the holy chrism and uh, celebrate the sacrament of confirmation or chrismation. But they do that... Vicar- in other words it's actually the bishop doing it vicariously through the priest and and the, the holy ointment or you know, the chrism is given to the priest by the bishop so it's like the bishop is being present through the chrism and vicariously through the priest so even there you have the this idea that there's these two levels of, of the first one being the bishop he is the ultimate priest correct
2: correct correct
1: correct correct now let me ask you something about monasticism, because it is so important, especially in the East. You know, ironically, the or providentially, the Church that developed or had a married priesthood also de- gave us gave the world monasticism, right, evan Because it's it started in the well, in, in the Eastern exactly Churches.
2: Why I think there was a deeper appreciation from the very beginning that through baptism, you, a Christian is baptized is brought into the priesthood of all believers priesthood of all believers and the model for the priesthood of all believers is not the ministerial priest that's something different the model the apex the model the prototype if you might say for the priesthood of all believers is the monastic monk or nun Sometimes in the West they confuse that, and so the ordination of women to the ministerial priesthood is related to that. They say, well, women are equally baptised as men are. Yes, with respect to the priesthood of believers, there's absolute equality, and that's why monastics that are the, the, the model for the priesthood of believers are equally men and women, just the same. Monastic life is for them. The ministerial priesthood is something different. Right. It's, it's something different. It's another step, a more institutional step of the charism of baptism so this is really important we basically need the only way that priests that clerical celibacy will be understood and valued more in east and west is when there will be more monks and nuns more monastics that epitomize the priesthood of all believers through baptism and secondarily the ministerial priest will borrow
1: from that. And if people want to really experience this monasticism, this reference point for all the baptized, they can certainly do it at your monastery. Tell us, where can people get in touch with uh, the monks there, with your monastery?
2: Well, you can check uh, our webpage at www.hrmonline, Initials for Holy Monastery, www.hrmonline.org. If you Google that, or Holy Resurrection Monastery, Wisconsin, St. Basians, You'll get a lot of information from our webpage with more details of how to contact us.
1: And we got about a half a minute left here of Abba Nicholas. How, how would you suggest that families can inspire? You know, we want to inspire vocations. How do we inspire vocations to monasticism?
2: Uh, just, first of all, by visit the, visiting the monasteries and experiencing these men and women who have taken their baptism seriously and outwardly witness to it. Then it's contagious. (laughs) Don't read about it. We don't talk about it. That's not enough. We have to see it in action. And then it's (laughs) contagious. Bring them to a monastery. That's the best way of getting them hooked.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, uh, Abba Nicholas, for uh, your wonderful insights. And yes, please do visit... Holy Resurrection Monastery in St. Nazias, Wisconsin. Abbot Nicholas, thank you for being on our program today. We'll certainly have you back again.
2: Thanks thanks again everyone and God bless you all.
1: Yes, and thank you for listening everybody. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East.
0: To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes. This is Dr. Greg Popchuk. And Lisa Popchuk. This is Chris Stefanik, host of Real Life Catholic. This is Archbishop Samuel Aquila from the Archdiocese of Denver. And thank you for listening to EWTN Radio.
1: Thank you for listening.